0: We've been uh, answering questions that were put in the question box. The question that I was going to answer tonight is, why do I think Paul wrote Hebrews? I'm going to do more than answer that question, I think. But anyway, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, To study the show thyself approved unto who? God. You know, I had a Sunday school teacher ask the question one time. I was in the class. I wasn't teaching at the time. Who do you Sunday school teachers or, or preachers, who do you study to show yourself approved to? Your students? No, we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, So God wants us to study his word that we might be, show ourselves approved uh, as a workman for him. So let's look to the Lord in prayer and then we're going to answer this question and uh, make some applications as well. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the time we can be together. And I pray as we look into the word of God tonight that you just encourage us and challenge us, um, help us to see uh, our need to study your word, uh, not only for our own good, but that it might profit with all, might profit others for the glory of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the question, of course, I mentioned was, why do I think Paul wrote Hebrews? And uh, uh, I have... Two points and a couple sub-points, uh, but don't get alarmed. It won't be ten minutes. Uh, first of all, all scripture is inspired of God. You know, There's there is a lot of controversy about who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, Schofield, in his notes, says the authorship of Hebrews has been in controversy from the earliest times. Uh, you know, the, the, most books of the Bible, the name is identified, However, in Hebrews, it's not. There's not a name. Some say Paul. Some say Apollos. Some I've even heard some say Timothy. I, I'm not sure the, how they can get that conclusion, because Timothy is made reference to in the book, um, and not in first person. But be that as it may, first thing we understand that it is that it is of course inspired of of God. Uh, the question of its inspiration, there is no question of, uh, concerning its inspiration. And, and the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And Peter tells us in Second Peter 1, verses 19 to 21, that we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is any private interpretation, for prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So all Scripture is given is the word of God, it's not the word of a man, although God used human agencies to give us or to pen down for us his word. It is God-breathed, that's what inspiration means, it's inspired of God. Uh, you know, he, Peter says here that they, but holy men of God spake, the idea is they, are, they were moved along, you might say, as they were moved along by the, by the Holy Ghost. And of course the word of God is eternal. It doesn't change, and it is forever. In Matthew twenty-four, thirty-five says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And in his first epistle, in 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25, Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. So the word of God is not susceptible to decay or corruption. Well, we've got a lot of scholars today that are saying us that, telling us that the word of God has been... Uh, changed and altered and corrupted, and you know and they're working to get it back to where it originally was yeah. I, one of the things i i I'm a nosy preacher when I go to other churches I read doctrinal statements when I look at a church online, I read the doctrinal statements and all the time you'll see a doctrinal statement that says something like this: We believe that that God inspired his word in the original autographs now. What that means is we believe that God inspired the originals. But do we have originals? No, we don't have any originals. All we have are copies. That means what they're saying is we do not believe we have the preserved word of God or words of God. They might say we have the preserved word of God, meaning the whole, but not the words themselves. But Peter's era. Matthew tells us that heaven an pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And Peter here says that the word of God is not corruptible. So it's not susceptible to decay. God promised, you see, God is the, just as he was the, the, the agent, or just as he inspired his word, he also can use sinful men to preserve his word. And the churches did, all down through the ages of time. Uh, So it's incorruptible. It says, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the word of God is eternal, and it does not change. Um, Verse 25 says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. God's word is eternal. We will always have the words of God, and of course, in English, I believe we have it preserved for us in the King James Bible, because it's a it's it's a uh, translation of the preserved uh, received text and the Masoretic text of the Old Testament, received text of the New Testament. So, all in Scripture, we need to understand, of course, all in Scripture is inspired by God and is preserved by God. The, now, the second thing is we think about more directly, who do I think wrote Hebrews? Uh, second thing I want to notice here is evidence for Paul's authorship. I believe Paul did. But, you know what, it really doesn't matter. But I do believe Paul did. And, and I want to look at some evidence to that fact. First of all, evidence of statements made. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hebrews 10 34. Hebrews 10 verse 34 says, For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves ye have in heaven heaven, a better and enduring substance. And then in chapter chapter 13, again in verse 3, he makes reference to bonds. Chapter 13 verse 3, Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and with them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. So there, he makes mention of the fact that he was he was in bonds. Now, obviously, I don't I don't think Paul was the was was the only apostle that spent time in prison. Uh, although the others really don't talk about it, but Paul did. Of course, Paul was in prison much more than all the rest, and and he wrote most of his letters, uh, the epistles, you know, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and so on from prison. Uh, So, he makes mention of being in bonds. Secondly, evidence for Paul's authorship of Hebrews, the statement concerning Timothy. Look at chapter 13, verse 23. Uh, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. Now, to me, this is very compelling evidence, because Timothy was Paul's constant companion and travel. In fact, no other New Testament writer ever made mention of Timothy. Not Peter. Uh, um, of course, Luke does, but as it concerns Paul. But it's not even. He, I don't even think he's mentioned in the Book of Acts. Um, uh, yes, he is in the Book of Acts too. Yes, he is mentioned there. But uh, but. But Paul mentions him over and over. For example, in 1 Timothy 1-2, he says, "Unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 1, verse 18, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies once before on thee, that thou mightest war a good warfare. Then again in 2 Timothy 1-2, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul uh, had very close relationship with Timothy, and Timothy with Paul, and uh, and he, as far as we know from any scripture, Timothy never worked with anyone else other than Paul. Now, Paul would send him in other places by himself, but was believed that Timothy later became the pastor at Ephesus. Uh, but, but uh, so. You know He makes reference here to Timothy. So the statement concerning Timothy. Thirdly, the statement about Italy. Notice chapter 13, verse 24. Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints, they of Italy salute you. Now, uh, where did Paul write most of his prison epistles from? It was Rome. Some of them he wrote from Philippi. But many of them he wrote from Rome. Uh, he was in prison in Rome, and you know he makes reference also to the fact that that uh, he may uh, be set at uh, Timothy was set at liberty, and that he might come shortly. He was set free or liberated for a time from Rome, and then he ended up going back there uh, later on, and then he was martyred. But but so so Paul was in Italy, um, uh, and so and again evidence. Uh, For uh, his authorship. Alright so we see evidence of statements made. And then secondly. Evidence of content. Of the book. Now. All agree. Whoever wrote this book. Had a very good knowledge. And understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, Let's notice several things. First of all. The Old Testament testimony. Of Christ. Uh, In chapters 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2, in fact, throughout the book, um, the Old Testament is quoted, but he uses, not only uses, uh, just, but here in chapters 1 and 2, he talks about uh, the Son. So, for example, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, for unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee? And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's a quotation from Psalm 2, verse 7. Uh, And then also, uh, there again in verse 5, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's from 2 Samuel 7, 14. The promise made to David that he would have a son to sit on his throne forever. Uh, Verse 6, he says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten in the world, and he saith, Let all the angels of God worship him. That's from Psalm ninety seven verse seven. Uh, verse seven is a quotation from Psalm one hundred and four. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire? Uh, verse eight and nine is a quotation from Psalm forty nine or forty five. Uh, but unto the sun he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Uh, And verses ten through twelve, this is a a quotation from Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. And he says, Thou Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Verse 13, he quotes from Psalm 110. Uh, But to which of the angels said he any time, Sit in my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Uh, What is man? Chapter 2, verses 6 or 8. That's a a direct quotation from Psalm 8, 4 to 6. And I could go on and on and on and on. There are 30, 30 direct references to Old Testament scriptures according to the world's Bible handbook. And then there are a multitude of other others companion references uh, to the Old Testament as well. So whoever wrote this had knowledge none of the testimony of Christ in the Old Testament, but but a a very good knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures and understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, he he refers to the writings of Moses, chapters three and four, uh, where he talks about verse chapter three, verse one. Uh, uh, wherefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling consider the apostle and high priest of our profession Christ Jesus who was faithful to him that pointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house and verses chapters 3 and 4 talk about Moses and the children of Israel and their journeys in the wilderness uh, he was familiar with the Old Testament priesthood Aaron and somebody we don't know much about Melchizedek Verses, or chapters 5 through 8 talks about the Aaronic priesthood. Um, For example, verse 4 of chapter 5 says, No man taketh his honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. And then in verse 6, it talks about Melchizedek. As he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, So he talks about the priesthood of Aaron and Melchizedek. Uh, he, He also makes talks about the purpose of the tabernacle, its ordinances, and its sacrifices. Now, this is something that many Jews had a problem with. And this is why the writing of this book, really, is to correct it. See, many of the Jews had a problem with it that they could not do what? They couldn't leave it. Remember even when Paul came back to Jerusalem when he was arrested, that was the contention. There was, you know, James, who was the pastor at that time, said there's many Jews here, but they're very zealous concerning the law. made and the brethren are very zealous. You know, they, they had a hard time letting go. Paul let it go. He understood its purpose and its purpose had been fulfilled. And it was no more. And that's really what, You know, this book is about, you know, the key word in this book is better. Christ is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Melchizedek. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than the temple. Uh, You know, he's better than than all the Old Testament things we have. See, look at chapter 9. Chapter 9. As you think about this the purpose of the tabernacle and its ordinances, it was all just a foreshadow. It was to picture one that was to come. Um, and I don't want to read all this for sake of time, but look at chapter 9, verse 11. It says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater, notice, and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, all this building, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead's works, to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So, you no, know, he he says uh, he's a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Now, if you drop down to 23, you know, the Bible always, always uh, explains itself. Verse 23 says, It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So, so we have a we have a more perfect sacrifice, and we have a we, uh, we have better sacrifices than the earthly ones. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the tabernacle that was on earth was made after the pattern that God showed Moses in the mount, and there is a pa- there is a tabernacle in heaven that the one on earth was patterned after. But Christ didn't enter the tabernacle on earth; he entered the one in heaven, not made with hands, and offered his blood, the eternal blood of the eternal Son. Uh, and so we have a we have a better and more perfect tabernacle, um, it's not, it's, it's, it's a, a place where they don't take blood of bulls or goats and calves. But Christ's blood. Notice it says, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So, and of course the purpose of, of, of the tabernacle is found in chapter 10 verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of things can never with those sacrifices they offered year by year continually make us the comers perfect. So it was a shadow. It was a picture of the sacrifice that was to come. Now you, know, you think of some of, the, some of the pictures of the Old Testament sacrifices. You have a lamb. But what kind of a lamb? Anything significant about the lamb? Anything significant that was required about the lamb that was to be offered as Passover lamb? It was a male that was without blemish. Without blemish. And of course it pictures a sinless sacrifice. That's what Christ was. He was a perfect sacrifice. Um... It, you know the the uh the the uh the offering of the goats you know the scapegoat and all that there was the uh the, you know one of them was pictured to, of taking away sins they they sent him away from the camp uh the other one you know was sacrifice you know again all these things speaks of of substitution well you take take for example the uh um, the ram caught in the thicket Genesis chapter twenty-two. What was that? That was a substitute for Isaac. Speaks of a substitute for us. Christ died in our place. That ram had no sin of its own. It died in Isaac's place. Isaac, of course, is the type of Christ. So there's, you know, there's these pictures, and this is what the the law was. Uh, Let me read on here, verse verse two. Hebrews ten two says, "For then they would they not have ceased to offer, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is remembrance again made of sins every year. So the old testament sacrifices they had to do every year, every year, every continually, because an animal can't pay the penalty for your sin." Verse four, 4 says, For it is not possible the blood of bull, bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of thee, to do thy will of God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that is, the Old Testament sacrifices, that he may establish the second, that is, Christ, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down in the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting to his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So, so the writer, whoever he was, understood the purpose of the tabernacle, its ordinances and sacrifices, that it foreshadowed Christ, but when we have the, the substance, we don't need the shadows. Even Peter struggled with that. Remember in Galatians chapter 2, Paul withstood him to his face because he didn't want to eat with the Gentiles. And, and, it, and it's this very thing of leaving the Old Testament sacrifices. They, had, they wanted to hang on to that. And this is the problem with the book, the Hebrews, the people he's writing to. So he understood that Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures. All the Old Testament ordinances and the tabernacle and the temple and worship and all that, he's a fulfillment, and, and, and that is done away in Christ. Then also, of course, he, the writer understood Israel's history. Chapter 11 is, of course, Israel's, you might say, Israel's hall of fame. Um, you know, hall of faith, you might say. And, and you know so he understood uh israel's history uh and, and some some details uh, but also number six this he understood the sufficiency of the church and the sacrifice of christ and again, look at look at chapter eleven verse forty God you know and he, and he rehearses all the history of Israel and the the what we call the the hall of the faithful or the Hall of fame, but he says God, having provided some better Thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. You know, they were not made perfect until Christ came. Now, there's an interesting uh, thing about this. Just hold this thought for a minute. Go back to Ephesians chapter four. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter four. Verse 7 says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now, the Bible says here that he ascended, he first descended And then he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Um, So he first descended and then he ascended. Now, what I believe that's referring to is the Old Testament saints, when they died, didn't go to, to heaven because the way was not yet made. Christ hadn't died. Their sins were not yet taken away. They were only covered. Uh, you know, G- J- uh, John said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. You know, Hebrews tells us that, that, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember now where it is. Um, Um, well, Hebrews nine verse thirteen says, "For the blood of, for the, um, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of half heifer sprinkled the heifers, unclean is sanctified for the purifying the flesh. How much sure? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, uh." Offered himself without that spot to God, purge your conscience, dead works, servant, living and true God. It's not the verse I want. Um, oh, here it is. Chapter 10, verse 1. Notice, the for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. I thought I just read it. Can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. So the Old Testament saints weren't made perfect until Christ was sacrificed. In other words, their sin was not taken away because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. It only covered it. It was a temporary covering. And so they went to paradise, what we call paradise, and sometimes people refer to it Abraham's bosom. You know, in Luke chapter 16, the rich man Lazarus, and, 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 and you know the, the rich man saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, and, and we know hell's in the heart of the earth. That's what the Bible tells us. So paradise was there in the heart of the earth also, but it wasn't on a place of suffering, it was a, it was a paradise. but uh, So until Christ died on the cross, and he went to paradise, and he emptied paradise and then took it with him to heaven. Now the Bible says to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5. So when Ephesians 4 here talks about he descended first and then he left captivity captive. They were held there in paradise in the heart of the earth until Christ died. Because those Old Testament sacrifices could not take away sin. It only was a covering. But Christ His sacrifice takes away our sin. So, again, the sufficiency of Christ. Verse 40, that's where it was. Chapter 11, verse 40. God having provided some better thing for us. We have something better than the Old Testament saints. We have a better sacrifice. We have a sacrifice that took away or takes away our sin. Notice that they without us should not be made perfect. Uh... Chapter 12, verse 22 through 24, talks about, says, But ye are coming to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to a numerous company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to the God of the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And he warns them not to, Refuse him that speaketh, of course, but use the better things of Christ. Uh, and then and then, uh, drop down to verse 14 of chapter 13 where it says, For we have he, here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Uh, so so the, he, he's referring to the sufficiency of the church and the sacrifice of, of Christ. We have something better. Than what the Old Testament has. Old Testament saints had. We have Christ. And his church. His churches. So. You know. From the evidence. Of the content. In the book. I believe Paul wrote it. C.I. Schofield in his notes in the scope of the Bible, said this, quote, We undoubtedly have here the method of Paul's synagogue addresses, unquote. You know, though Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, he, 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 he magnified that office. You know, Peter was considered the apostle to the Jews. But wherever Paul went, the, when he would go into the city, the first place he would go would be the synagogue. You know, Romans 1.16 said for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for his power of God and salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile he always went to the Jews first seldom did they ever receive him but he went there first and so it's believed that by many that this is this is probably the the message many times that Paul would present at the synagogue Proving that Christ was better than Moses, than Aaron, than Melchizedek, than the Old Testament sacrifices. That he was the fulfillment of those things. You know, Peter makes reference in 2 Peter chapter 3. He makes a reference to some things about Paul that are hard to be understood. In 2 Peter 3.15 he says, In account of the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul... Also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. So Peter said, you know, you know, he and that Peter that Paul wrote some things that were hard to understand, that unstable people would rest. So that, in other words, they twist it. Hebrews is one of those books of the New Testament that is considered more difficult to understand. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 11, uh, he writes to those, and he said, uh, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are doll of hearing. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you need have one that teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he said there's some things hard to, you're, you're dull of hearing, and you're not able to understand. And my question to you is, as you think about Paul being the author, who had probably better training In the Old Testament, then Paul. When he gives his testimony before the Pharisees, and I think it was before Felix, the governor, or Festus, one of them, in uh, Acts 22 and verse 3, he said, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarshish, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. He was taught by Gamaliel. Now, who was Gamaliel? Well, in chapter 5 of the book of Acts, in verse uh, 34, it gives us a little bit of a description of him. It says, Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law had a reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. So he was a Pharisee, a doctor of the law, and he had a reputation among them as a doctor of the law. And Paul grew up at his feet, being instructed. And of course, Paul, in several of his epistles, other of his epistles, Made mention of this, uh, for example in Galatians chapter one, verses thirteen and fourteen, he said, Ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God, and profited in the Jews religion above many mine equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Then in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, Philippians 3, 4, and 6, 4 through 6, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, it's sort of like saying, you know, if you had a guy that was a uh, a good good ball player, And somebody asked him if he was a good ball player. And he'd say, yes, I am. Now, would that be bragging? Not when he says it. Because it's true. Some might say Paul was bragging here. But he said, if you want to talk about being a Pharisee and knowing the law, I'm more. And he said it under inspiration. You see, Paul had a very good knowledge and understanding of the word of God. And, and he understood the Old Testament scriptures and their fulfillment in the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, so the evidence to me points that Paul was the author of a book. But a point I want to make here tonight for us is this. You know, Paul had a very good knowledge and understanding of the word of God. Therefore, he understood God's will and purpose for his life and the lives of other people that he met. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, We're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You, know, as ambassadors of Christ, we should desire to learn and understand God and His words, so we can help people fulfill His will and His purpose for their lives. When Paul wrote Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter one, verses one through two, one and two, he says, "Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus." And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Go to Psalm chapter 78. Psalm chapter 78. Psalms chapter 78. Verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. And now notice, notice these next couple of verses. And our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You know, this this is why, this is why Israel has survived Practically speaking, and retain their identity even to this day. What other nation of ancient times has survived? Where's the Hittites, the Amorites? You know, the same principle applies to churches. You know, God don't. You know, this is one of the things God stressed on his people. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. You know, you, you talk about it when you, when you lie us in the house, when they walk us about the way, and, you know, everywhere you go, you talk about the word of God. You're to teach your children the word of God. You know, we must teach and train the next generation the truth of the eternal word for the perpetuity of the churches. Or is to pass on to the next generation, the faith, once delivered unto the saints. That's our responsibility. You know, if you if you forsake God's church and are not taught, how are you going to teach your own children? How is it going to continue to the next generation? In fact, you'll be like Israel, because notice verse eight and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. What happened? Well, somewhere along the way, one generation didn't teach the next. They didn't pass it on. You see, God wants us to pass on our faith. That's why we're to study, to show ourselves. Not only so we can reach others, but to pass it on to our children and our children to their children. And their children to their children. There's seven generations mentioned there in Psalm 78. So, we need to study. Yeah, I think Paul wrote Hebrews, but... We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly deriding the word of truth. You know, really, whether you believe Paul wrote Hebrews or not, doesn't really matter to me. I believe he did. But the important thing is we need to study God's word so that we can teach the next generation. So that we can help other people as ambassadors for Christ. We can help other people find God's will and purpose for their lives. As we.